Let's pray together. So, Father, we come now trusting you, longing to trust you more. We believe, help our unbelief. So would you come now by your Spirit and make much of your Son, Jesus, through your Word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome this morning, Bethlehem and all others who may be watching with us. My name is Dave Zuliger, and I'm the lead pastor at the South Campus here at Bethlehem Baptist Church. And just to clue you in, if you're not from Bethlehem, this spring we've been going through a series called 2020 Vision. And the goal has really been to say, what is the church? What's the purpose and the role of the church? And what does a healthy church look like? In February, we highlighted the job description of the elders to follow the lead of our chief shepherd, to oversee our people better, to speak to them more specifically, to love them more deeply. And this month, as Pastor Jason mentioned last week, we're actually moving into the job description of the church as a whole. And therefore, my title this week as we were preparing to go there is that church is not a spectator sport. And the irony of this moment is not lost on me as literally all of you are watching from your living rooms or your kitchens. We can admit right now in this moment that this is actually a little bit weird. And it's not even how it's supposed to be. Yet it is where God has us, and we trust him. And I think the text this morning is a great text for the moment that we're in, where we are scattered, and it will be a great text for when the Lord sees fit to allow us to gather once again. Now, when I first planned this sermon just over a week ago, I wanted to highlight the difference between someone that would watch a game from the stands and then someone that was on the court playing the game. I even had March Madness in my mind, which has since been canceled. But maybe appropriately, there was about a week where many sporting events actually happened. The players played the games, but there was no one in the stands. Perhaps that's a good picture for us of what the Apostle Paul would have for us, that everyone in the building is participating. Everyone in the building is in the game. There are no spectators in the Christian life or in the church. Paul calls us to full participation in the body of Christ. It is an odd time in the world, and in many ways most of us are an unchartered territory for the ins and the outs of life. But one thing that doesn't change is that we are the church. We're the church now as we ever have been in the calling on our life has not changed because the mission of Christ has not changed. And so what we're going to see this morning is three things from Paul in this text. Number one, we will see that the Spirit 
is always working to declare that Jesus is Lord. Number two, we will see that the Spirit gives diverse gifts in the body to point to the unity and diversity of our God. And number three, we'll see that these gifts are not mainly theoretical, just to think about and talk about, but they're for the common good. These gifts are where the rubber meets the road. So let's dive in together first to number one. The Spirit will always work to declare that Jesus is Lord. So open your Bibles or look at your phones with me at verses one to three. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So I want you to look again at the first sentence in verse 1 where it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, and I want to give you a little bit different translation. The translation I want to give you is, Now concerning life in the Spirit. So let me tell you why I think that and why it matters for this passage. The word Paul uses here is the word he has used throughout the whole book of 1 Corinthians for Christian life in the realm of the Spirit. And it's not the word he uses in the rest of the chapter for spiritual gifts. Now here's why that matters. You might say, who cares? Get on with it. What happens is that some commentators take this translation of spiritual gifts and then they look at verse 2 about being led astray to mute idols. And then they look at verse 3 where Paul talks about cursing Jesus. And what they think is that Paul is saying these are false spiritual gifts. They're demonic gifts. And Paul is saying stop cursing Jesus. Stop cursing the Lord. However, that would be to use the word spiritual in a way that Paul never uses it throughout the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul uses it five other times before this passage. You can write these down and look these up later to check my work, but he uses it in chapter 2, verse 13, in chapter 2, verse 15, in chapter 3, verse 1, in chapter 9, verse 11, in chapter 10, verse 4. And each time he uses it, he shows something that the Spirit of God accomplishes among the people of God. In other words, he's showing what the Spirit does among God's people. He's showing what it's like to live in the power of the Spirit, under the influence and sway of the Spirit. In verse 13 of this chapter, it says, we're all baptized into the Spirit. So if Paul is talking about how Christians are to live in the power of the Spirit, then what is the main point of verses 1 to 3? Well, if you were to look at 1 Corinthians as a whole, and especially in chapters 12 to 14, you would see that this is a messed up church. This is not a church on witness for the sake of Jesus. Instead of exalting in Christ the Savior and Lord, they were often fighting with each other living in sin and spending more time trying to decide who had the most important gifts than actually using those gifts for the sake of the name of Jesus. 
And so verses 1 to 3 are about the Spirit declaring that Jesus is Lord. You can see that Paul cuts right to the heart. So here would be a summary of what I think Paul is saying in verses 1 to 3. I think he's saying, Corinthian church, don't you get it? The Spirit of God is meant to always work in you to make you feel in your heart and declare with your mouths that Jesus is Lord. Don't you get it? The Spirit of God doesn't exist to lift you up, but to make you bow down to Lord Jesus. The Spirit doesn't make you rest in your own control over a few things, but rest in the Lordship and reign of Jesus Christ in all things. The Spirit doesn't cause anxiousness and division and pride. He brings about perfect peace and unity and humility under the reign of King Jesus. Bethlehem, I've been praying this morning the Spirit would work this humbling and calming truth deep into our souls as we hear this word from the Apostle Paul. That from our scattered places in light of this virus spreading and causing so much fear that we would be settled by the Holy Spirit doing the same thing that Paul says he'll do in verses 1 to 3. In other words, confirming in our hearts, Jesus is Lord. Do you believe that right now in your living room? Do you believe that with your family and friends gathered that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus reigns in this moment in our country and in our world, that Jesus has not taken his eyes off of the road, Jesus has not stepped away from his throne, Jesus is not wringing his hands wondering what to do. He is the king of an unshakable worldwide kingdom that we have been called into if we've trusted him. Which means that we're unshakable with him. Look at me right now. Jesus is king. And there is nothing ultimately up for grabs for you if you are in the kingdom of the chief shepherd. Listen to John chapter 10 Verses 27 to 29, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. He is our shepherd and our Lord in these uncertain times. He is leading us to green pastures and still waters to restore our fearful souls. He is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. We need not fear any evil, including coronavirus. He is pursuing us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives, even these more uncertain days. We will dwell in his house forever where all sin and sickness and suffering will be gone. And so, let's ask ourselves, if those things are true, why are we afraid? Why is the world afraid? The reason things like coronavirus are ultimately scary comes from the fact that all suffering and disease 
whispers that death is real. We try so hard to avoid that truth in our culture. We try to numb it by controlling our circumstances. We try to start new diets as if eating maybe enough blueberries will will put off death. We binge watch TV shows to numb ourselves from the pain and the brokenness we feel around us. We busy ourselves on social media because it's easier than dealing with real life. We indulge in secret sin to make the pain go away in a million other things, but we can't run. Death is real. We will all die. Disease and lack of control is terrifying to a world that knows deep down that it's real but has no eternal hope. But we don't have to be like that. We don't have to stay there. If you're there this morning, this is not a condemnation. This is an invitation into hope, into the Lordship of Jesus Christ that is real right now in your life if you belong to him. As Christians, we can live in freedom from the fear of death because death is swallowed up in Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. Sin has been defeated for us. We will rise again to be with Jesus. It's not a joke. It's not a myth. It's coming and it's coming soon. Those in Christ will ultimately never die. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our Savior is Lord. And he reigns today, risen and reigning at the right hand of the Father. Bethlehem, the Spirit, means to set your heart on the reign of King Jesus today. To set your heart on his sure resurrection power that will cause you to rise again. To trust that all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ, the one who reigns over every inch of the universe. He's trustworthy. He's going to keep his promises. The Spirit is always working in our hearts to help us declare, and I hope this morning to believe down to our very bones that Jesus is Lord. And though we can admit we have no control at all, Jesus is in perfect control. And he is for us. And he is with us. The Spirit is working in the church now, in our day, like in the church of Corinth, to declare Jesus is Lord, even in the most trying times. That's point number one. Jesus is Lord, and that's what the Spirit wants to do in the church. Point number two is that the Spirit is going to work to show the unity and diversity in the mission of our Lord. Look at verses four to six with me. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. You'll see a a similar pattern throughout these verses. In verse 4, he states that there are diversities of gifts, But it's the same spirit, meaning your gifts, whatever God has put in you to the service of our Lord, whatever they are, empowered by the Spirit. In fact, here in verse 4, he uses the word charismata, charismata, that is very closely related to the word for grace 
or charis. In other words, the Spirit is working in the church to give a diversity of gifts of grace. Meaning you don't have to earn these. You've been given these. These aren't because of your own ability. These are given to you by God for the upbuilding of the church. Verse 5. He states that there are diversities of ways people serve, but there is one Lord they ultimately serve. In other words, don't look around and try to make one person's ministry more holy than another's or more spiritual than another's. We're all serving the same Lord. My preaching is not more spiritual than your hospitality if you have people in your home right now or, or you're loving your elderly neighbors this week by going and getting them groceries. Someone counseling a hard marriage situation is not more spiritual than the team we have up in the booth right now who is working hard and has worked hard to bring you even this video right now. The goal for all of us is that God would bring these gifts together and we'd submit them and serve our Lord Jesus to advance his mission. And then in verse 6 he says there's a diversity of Workings, but it's the same God, the Father, who works them all in each one. In other words, all of our work is worked in us by God. All of our spiritual work is empowered by the Father. Every work in each of us, which means God is working through us to get glory. What a privilege to be a part of the greatest story of the world. God's redemptive story. Notice also how these verses highlight the unity and diversity of God by mentioning all three persons of the Trinity. The beauty of our God, the reality that makes our God different from all the other so-called gods in the world is that our God is three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Three persons. One God. Unity and diversity. Each person in the Trinity has a role to play in the mission of the gospel and in the same way each of you have gifts, ways you serve and work you do as part of your campus that is meant to display the unity and diversity of our God in the mission of the gospel. You wonder why different gifts but one spirit, why different gifts but one church were displaying the unity and diversity of our God even in his mission. And this is significant, isn't it? Because don't we live in a world, you could log on to all your social media right now where the main thing you would see is division over differences. Divisions over differences reign in our day and age. But when we display unity amidst diversity, we declare that Jesus reigns. That's not about us. It's about Jesus even the church is often divided. So what a beautiful picture this is when our diversity does not cause division, but instead we come together in unity for the mission of the gospel. Perhaps now is the moment the church comes together and says with all of our diverse gifts, Jesus is Lord, come and see him. Jesus is Lord, come to him. Jesus is Lord, bow to him and find rest. For your souls. Finally, point three. We've seen Jesus is Lord. We've seen that he gives diverse gifts. 
to display unity and diversity. And finally, point three, we see these gifts are given by the Spirit for the common good in verses 7 to 11. I'm going to read just verse 7 and verse 11. Read it with me. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now I skip the middle verses because they're simply meant to illustrate the diversity we see. I should mention that no list of gifts in the Bible is exhaustive or meant to be complete. Paul is simply dealing with some of the problem gifts in the church of Corinth and illustrating that there's intentionality in the diversity of the gifts to the Corinthian church. If you don't have a gift on this list, or a gift on another list in the Bible, you're not off the hook. They're not meant to be exhaustive. We still need you to get in the game in the power of the Spirit. So notice three things with me from these two verses. Number one, notice to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit which means every one of you that is in Christ has a gift of the Spirit given to you meant to build up the body of Christ. Your campus needs this. The church needs this. As you serve, notice that you're manifesting God himself. God is working through you to show the world himself. This is an amazing reality that adds purpose and wonder to all that we do. Number two, Notice that this is for the common good. This means that we need each other. If you're not actively participating at your campus or in this church, then those at your campus are missing out. We're not independent people who do things on our own. We are an interdependent people that have been empowered and endowed with certain gifts in our specific context to love and serve one another and the world around us. In other words, we don't want to be a church that has the 80-20 rule where 20% of the people do 80% of the ministry. You cannot be a spectator for the church to be all that God wants us to be. Each person has a gift from God to be used in service to the Lord for the good of those around him. Now, if you're sitting there and going, I just don't know what my gift is. I don't know where to start. I don't even know how I'd figure that out. Let me take the pressure off for a moment and say to you, just do something. Begin to serve the Lord. Begin to ask those around you if it's helpful or if there's another area that you're helpful. Begin to pray that God would show it to you and then ask those around you, where do you think I fit? Where are my gifts? How can I build up this body in love? Don't be paralyzed because you're not quite sure. Begin to serve and let the Lord direct you by prayer and by his people. And finally, number three, Notice that there are no accidents here. It says the Spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills, according to his will. The unified mission to declare Jesus is intentionally and sovereignly diverse. Jesus is Lord and we bow to him and we we rest in that. And we've been purposely given unique gifts by the Spirit to help others bow to him and rest in his lordship 
as well. In the midst of a fearful and shaken world right now, God has placed you in a gathering north or downtown or south with specific gifts and good works to do by his power that display the love and lordship of Christ. Now no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. There can be no spectators in the church of Christ right now. Instead, let's ask God in fresh ways to empower our gifts and our acts of service more than ever before to reach out to a frightened world and pray that God would bring about revival as the people that are looking on see a church that is unshaken and self-giving in their love. These diverse gifts of the one spirit to the one body of Christ are not just meant to be thought about. They're talked about. This is where the rubber meets the road. These gifts are given for the common good. They're meant to be exercised in the strength of the Spirit. They're meant to move us to action, to real, tangible acts of love. These gifts are not theoretical. They move towards the practical. It's God manifesting himself in the real world to real people in real time to declare that Jesus is Lord and to show the world his love. This is an unprecedented season of life together for us as a church. And so I want to end with my application by asking, how can we display this unity and diversity in real time and in real ways now for the common good? Here's my application. Get in the game. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Get in the game and love God and love neighbor. If the Spirit helps us believe that Jesus is Lord over every inch of the universe, then we must believe that the situation we find ourselves in right now is no accident at all. I want to read the quote from C.H. Spurgeon that Pastor Jason sent in his email on Friday about the sovereignty of the Lord in this. Here's what Spurgeon says. I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. That the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. That the creeping of an aphid over the rosebud is as much fixed as the march of the devastating pestilence. The fall of leaves from a poplar is as fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. We believe along these same lines that every virus must bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must believe that God has placed every one of you who can hear this right now at your campus with your gifts in this moment to spread gospel hope and gospel rest in the Lordship of Christ during these uncertain days. Even though we miss gathering, and we can confess this is not exactly how we would like it to be, the mission of the gospel still goes on. And for those who have been loved by God in Christ, the call on our lives is clear. Let's hear it right from Jesus himself in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. Here's what Jesus says to us. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Bethlehem now is not a time to sit passively on the sidelines, but more than ever to get in the game, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. So first, love the Lord your God with all your heart. I've been praying that this would be an unusual season for our church of our people going deeper and deeper in the word. That the word of Christ would dwell in you richly, in your families, in your personal devotionals, with your small groups as you gather. And I've been praying that this would be an unusual season of prayer. That as you pray, as you have the word open and as you gather with your family to pray and as you gather with other believers to pray that there be a fresh lingering, a fresh fellowship, a fresh sweetness, a fresh power that would come through prayer. That as we are a word and prayer saturated people, we're hearing from God in the word and we're hearing from him in prayer and we're gathering in small groups and pleading for mercy, that we'd be ready to give our brothers and sisters in Christ hope when they're afraid, that we'd be ready to move in action and love our neighbors when they come to us afraid, that this would be a season of life that shakes the boat enough, that knocks us off our feet enough that we would remember we need Jesus, that we're dependent on him alone, that we cannot micromanage or control our lives. It's all an illusion. He's always on the throne. We have no control, but he has all of it, and he can do whatever he wants. So let's ask him. Let's remember who he is. Second, make this a time to love your neighbor as yourself. Christians who are set free from death by the Lordship of Christ, and especially those of us who aren't in a vulnerable position should take this opportunity to love our neighbors. Christians have a strong history. You can go back and read all about it. When these kinds of things happen, Christians don't run away from the crisis. They move in towards the crisis. They love more. Love those vulnerable among your congregation by checking in on them asking if you can run errands for them, asking what they need, asking if you can pray for them. Love the vulnerable in your neighborhood by checking in and asking how you can help them. Surprise them that you're not self-protective but self-giving in your love. Love people by taking time to listen to their fears and pointing them to Jesus. Jesus shines bright in dark times. People will be looking for hope. You are empowered by the Spirit to love and speak hope. This is an awesome time to be a Christian who believes that Jesus is Lord. We can't gather right now, and I already miss gathering with our people. I was walking through the South Campus this morning, just sad that we wouldn't get to gather together. But perhaps this is a moment where the Lord Jesus is teaching us once again to be salt and light as we are scattered throughout these twin cities.
Perhaps this is a moment where the Lord Jesus means to shine the light of his love into the darkness of fear and weakness to a watching world. Perhaps through our increased love for God and love for neighbor, God means to save some, to bring more into this family that we have here at Bethlehem. Bethlehem, this moment is not separate from our 2020 vision. March is all about the job description of the church. We need everyone to get in the game and play in the strength that God supplies. Each one of you has gifts that God means to use to declare that he is Lord and spread his love to those around us. The job description of the church hasn't changed The circumstances have just changed a little bit. Therefore, this virus is a chance for the church to declare the victory of Christ. This disease is a chance for the church to make disciples of Christ. And this lockdown is a chance for the church to show the love of Christ. God has given you gifts for the common good. The mission of the church remains the same Let's declare Jesus is Lord and love our neighbors as ourselves as we are scattered until that sweet moment when we can gather once again. Let's pray together. So Father, wherever we are right now, confirm, remind us down to our bones that you are Lord, that Jesus is Lord. Lord, work that in your people by your spirit. Set us free to use our gifts in the name of Jesus, to love our neighbors as ourselves and to go deeper with you than ever before. Work revival, work in our hearts. Do something unexpected. That is exactly what you love to do. So we plead for it now and I pray that everyone would get in the game wherever they are to make much of King Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.